electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Deirdre Boza, and you're listening to CNBC's Tech Check. Our show is live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. Good Wednesday morning. Welcome to Tech Check. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Deirdre Bosa and John Ford. Out of the doghouse and now unleashed. Why last year's worst performers on the Dow are thriving to start 2023. Then is it time to start rethinking Apple? The analyst who slashed his price target this morning joins us. Later on, have we reached a third act on streaming? Why investors are not pulling the plug on streamers so far in the new year, D. Check on the markets as we begin this hour. Stocks are higher for the second day, adding to this week's solid gain so far. The Nasdaq now on pace for its first four-day win streak since September. All 11 S&P sectors are higher right now, led by materials. And the Nasdaq is the outperformer today, John. The Dow sitting around the flat line. Now, speaking of those markets, uh, within the Dow, there seems to be a theme emerging. The worst have become the best, at least for now, especially in some of the tech and media names. Dom Chu's here with the numbers. So, John, it it is early, of course, in 2023. But some of the big thematic elements that we have seen play out have to do with some of the big underperformers in the Dow. Now, the Dow is an index among the major three, has been an outperformer. We talked about some of the big losses with the Nasdaq and the S&P 500 on a relative basis. Meanwhile, the Dow is down just about 7% over the course of the last one-year period. So outperforming those other major indices. Now, it is not the Dow Jones Industrial Average as tech, media, telecom heavy as others are. But there are some names that are in there that we want to focus on for sure. If you take a look at the three worst performing stocks within the Dow, over the course of calendar year 2022, maybe not a surprise. You have to check out shares of Disney, which are down 44%. Salesforce is down 48%, and Intel shares having lost nearly half their value during that time span as well. Again, the three worst-performing stocks in the Dow. If you fast-forward to what's happening in this very early part of 2023, those three stocks are among the top five best-performing stocks so far in the index so far on a year-to-date basis. Now, again, just a couple weeks into things, Disney shares up nearly 10%. Same for Salesforce and Intel shares as well. So as we take a look at some of those emerging themes, John, that you just mentioned, maybe it's too early to call it thematic just yet, but maybe not a surprise for some folks out there that the worst performers from last year are among some of those that maybe some traders and investors are betting on for a possible turnaround story in 2023. Okay, Dom, so my question is, um, is this just bargain hunting like we're seeing throughout the markets in the back of this job report? Non-down names like Warner Brothers Discovery up 30 percent uh, year to date. Zillow's up 29. Peloton is up 28. Well, you know, it's, it's funny. If you look at some of those names like Warner Brothers Discovery, there, there's a lot of commentary right now about whether or not the, the launch of its new plus platform is going to be something that drives a catalyst there. But these are stocks, as you mentioned, that are down huge over the course of the last year. Now, if you look at a name like WBD, Warner Brothers Discovery, since the lows that we saw at the end of last year, that stock is up about 43% in just about two or three trading weeks. That's a huge move, but again, off a very low base. With the three that we're talking about in particular here, with Intel, Disney, and Salesforce, 
Two of those stocks have been valued as high growth opportunities in the last five years. We're talking about price to earnings multiples on a forward estimated basis of in the 70 plus range. Now they've fallen back down to the 20s. The one outlier there, the one that's not like the others, is Intel. And we, you, you've known this. We've been talking about this for quite some time. Intel has been treated as a value stock for the better part of the last decade. It's never gotten a high growth multiple, so it's never fallen that much either. And Deirdre, I guess to put a point on it, the one thing that those three have in common are that they are the underperformers. But only one of those names, Mm -hmm. believe it or not, actually pays a dividend and that is Intel, right? Right. Key point there. And, John, I know you're calling it sort of bargain hunting, but maybe you could also um, call this the soft landing bulls that are pushing these names higher, at least initially. At the very early stages of this year, key question, will these names keep their rally going? Well, let's start with one of them, Salesforce. Despite that rally, Bernstein downgrading the stock to underperform from market perform and lowering their price target to 119 from 134. The analyst says cost and staff reductions may not be enough to improve margins, and that slowing growth has been masked by M&A. Joining us now with the trade is Steve Grasso, global CEO and CNBC contributor. Steve, good morning to you. Great to have you on Tech Check. Um, the story when it comes to Salesforce, um, market is bullish on its maybe improved profitability prospects, but isn't the story here growth? And growth has been decelerating for years when you take away the M&A impact. And also you got to look at this company's stock-based compensation. That's a huge part of its profitability as well, or lack of it. Yeah, so it should be in theory, uh, Deirdre, it should be in theory the growth prospects. But unfortunately, the whole tech sector has been trading off of how many layoffs have they announced? Look at Meta. Meta announces, which I own, Meta announces layoffs and stocks rips higher. Salesforce announces layoffs and stock rips higher. So the market is trying to decide, on one hand, layoffs, other hand, uh, gross margins. So will the layoffs give them the tailwind and cut enough costs so that they can move forward? But if you look at the stock, Deirdre, go back to pandemic. Mm-hmm. Look at the chart on the on the stock. That's where it bounced at the pandemic low. So that's a very precarious spot to bounce. Means to me, people don't know enough about the fundamentals or the growth prospects going forward. So they're trading yeah. off of technicals. So they're looking for bottom feeders right now. Yeah, I think you said the key word there, fundamentals. And Salesforce may be doing its part in terms of layoffs, but it also has an issue with executive departures, right? Some of um, Wall, the people that Wall Street liked most, like Brett Taylor and Stuart Butterfield, some might argue that those were sort of the organic growth guys. So where does Benioff, where does Salesforce go from here? I mean, if the market doesn't want him to do any more acquisitions, where's that growth coming from? Yeah, so so you have to, if you look into a rising rate environment, the calculus changes. You're not supposed to be buying growth stocks, per se. But we are looking at the macro versus the micro in the innards under the hood of Salesforce. So uh, investors are willing to say, are rates rising as fast as they were? Are we coming to an end of the uh, end uh, to the Fed hikes? And if we are, then Salesforce becomes viable just on the fact that it's gotten so bad that people are looking for beta out of the chute in 2023. So fundamentals, Deirdre, will not come into play until the first quarter's over. 
All right, morning, Steve. Let's turn to Intel. That's trading slightly down this morning, despite finally launching its long-awaited Sapphire Rapids chips. Uh, after two years of delays, the so-called next-gen chips still feature uh, fewer maximum cores than AMD's offerings, but have other features as well. CEO Pat Gelsinger has a grand vision for Intel's turnaround, but the semi-maker has lost more than $130 billion in market value since he returned as CEO. So, Steve, I wonder if Intel, you got to view like a growth stock at this point in the sense, if this turnaround succeeds, it could double in a couple of years. If it fails, it could be cut in half. Um, how do you decide whether to buy a stock like this and when? Yeah, so exactly where you left off on that is what all traders are looking at right now. So where I said to Deirdre about Salesforce that it traded and it bounced uh, at around that pandemic low, John, Intel is way below the pandemic low. So if you think about it, this becomes a value play where it's been seen as value over years, but it's had a bunch of missteps. No one knows those missteps better than you do. But right now, if you look at data centers, that was their stronghold. They had 90% share of data centers. They, in the third quarter, sales and data, center, data centers dropped 27%. On the flip side, AMDs rose by 45%. So they're not only not seen as value anymore, they're not seen as growth anymore. What I really see now is traders taking a stab at this one right where you left off. This, if this stock works, it could double. If it doesn't, we fade, but everyone expects it to fade anyway because the, the, uh, the corporate team is not trusted by customers and investors at this point. So I see people just taking stabs in the dark at this one. And, so, I, and I will tell you that this probably is the one you want to take a stab in the dark at. So in that sense, toward the end of the year, they're supposed to deliver Emerald Rapids, the follow-on to Sapphire Rapids that's supposed to just sort of drop into the same sort of slots that Sapphire Rapids is going into now and provide better performance. If they can deliver that on time, does that deliver the, the kind of credibility, perhaps the kind of confidence that an investor needs that this team is, is turning this around? Absolutely. And, and you're just going to have a, a couple of small hurdles going forward. They've been working with NVIDIA. So the more you hear about their collaborations with, with uh, different corporations and giving them a tailwind, and the more they meet their projected uh, guidance on whatever they're releasing is going to make up for all the missteps they've had in the last year or two. Hey, hey, Steve, finally, let's get to Disney. Uh, one of the best performers so far this year, Bob Iger trying to right the ship. You bought in on the stock. I, I can't decide if this is about overall media momentum or people following Iger or some kind of earnings reset. What do you think? Yeah, Carl, so this one's very interesting to me. So if you look at it, and, and, and as you've seen my theme, when I look at stocks, I look at where they are in relationship to the pandemic. And have they bounced where they should have bounced or have they faded where, where, they, uh, where you wouldn't have ordinarily thought they should fade? Disney bounced around that pandemic bottom, as it should. Think about this, Carl. It, it, was there anything worse than the pandemic for Disney? The answer is no. So how can a recession, a possible recession, no matter how <laughs> deep you get on a recession, be worse than the pandemic? So this stock actually bounced from there. It's about... Hey, let's look at it in, as a point of reference. Things are never going to be as bad, knock on wood, as the pandemic low for Disney. Parks, entertainment is a $28 billion plus 
revenue projected in normalized earnings scheme. So if you look at that, then you have Iger, who's back. Iger is trusted by everyone unanimously. So everyone who was a, a headwind for Disney has now become maybe a neutral towards Bob Iger. And think about this, Carl, I'll leave you with this one. Who is better at M&A than Bob Iger? Look at the history that he's had as making, a, uh, making accretive acquisitions. A list of them. Too long to go into now. And I'm long Netflix. There's been rumors and rumors and rumors. Maybe this is the time where he takes a stab at that and gets a better hybrid multiple. He's not only a value, he's seen as a growth stock. I see Disney exploding in 2023 higher. Yeah, I know you're watching 100 as a key sentiment level, 200 days right around 105. Pretty amazing. Uh, Steve, great stuff. I appreciate you kicking off the hour. We'll see you tonight on Fast. Steve Grasso. Thank you. Let's turn to Apple now. Barclays cutting estimates and the price target on the stock to $133 per share. The firm sees production issues and weakening demand across hardware categories. Barclays also lowering estimates for Apple's services segment as the App Store shows signs of slowdown with the amount paid out to developers coming in flat year over year at $60 billion. Joining us now, Barclays analyst Tim Long. Tim, welcome. Is it just the app stores gotten so big that if the economy's slowing down, the app stores slowing down, isn't it a bigger deal that you're cutting estimates on uh, unit estimates on iPhone, uh, on Apple Watch, on Mac? Yeah, thanks for having me, John. Yeah, a lot going on here um, with, uh, with Apple. Uh, you know, we can get into the hardware uh, stuff separately, but on the app store, yeah, I think it's twofold. Part of it is uh, is it's getting large, 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 large numbers there. Uh, part of it is is macro um, as well. So th there, you know, can be discretionary spending on some of these items. I probably should throw a third in there. Uh, some of these are tied to hardware. So you know, if you go in a store, you're more likely to to say buy Apple Care. So. Uh, when we start to see some rollover in the hardware, that's going to have uh, a carry-on effect uh, to the services business as well. So I, I think there's a lot going on there. And why it's important to the stock is this this really is the piece of business that's higher margin, that's more recurring. Uh, therefore, that's what's uh, one of the things that's led to Apple PE multiple over the last five or six years really moving a lot higher. So mm -hmm. it's really the high-value segment that uh, that is also at risk here. Let me take the other side of this, as I am prone to do. Even though units might be coming down on some of those, what Apple tends to do in a cycle like this is amp up vertical integration, you know, roll the M chip through uh, more Macs, even more higher margin Macs on the pro end, uh, do some similar vertical integration in the iPhone. We got them talking about rolling out their own chips uh, for, uh, you know, wireless moving out Broadcom and Qualcomm over the next couple of years, doesn't that improve margins eventually at a time when other competitors are seeing margins compressed? And might that, uh, as they continue to buy back stock as well, add to EPS? Yeah, there's always a lot of moving parts with Apple and margins. Uh, you know, they, they obviously are a very big procurer of parts, so they probably get favorable pricing. Um, of course, there's been a lot of inflation, so Apple's had to try to offset, um, you know, component inflation, logistics, et cetera. So that's part of the problem that we're seeing with the hardware products, as you would expect. Uh, I think one of the previous uh, speakers was talking about macro impacts. Um, you know, the economy is getting worse and some of these products have become more expensive. So, you know, we're coming off a very strong period for iPhones and the other hardware categories. Uh, and really, Apple was the last or one of the last of the. COVID beneficiaries on the hardware side 
to really start to revert back towards normal. That's what we think is going on. Of course, this all started with uh, in a major way with this plant in China where they had the, the manufacturing issues. Mm. Uh, but really, we're starting to see that catch up. So the vertical integration, I think, can help differentiate their products. But realistically, it's an ecosystem that's very strong. It's differentiated on software. If the display or you know certain silicon pieces right. come from Apple themselves, I don't think that's earth shattering. I think it's much more important that they get back to a positive revenue dynamic. We'll see how long that takes. Tim, thank you. Tim Long, thank you. Still to come this morning, quote, the most bearish sentiment for ad buyers in the last decade. We'll discuss who is best positioned to weather that storm as Tech Check is just getting started. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones... Our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. It's the most bearish sentiment for ad buyers in the last decade. That is the top takeaway from a new survey by our next guest predicting TikTok, Amazon, and Netflix stand to gain the most share of ad spend in the year ahead. Let's take a closer look with Cowan Managing Director John Blackledge. John, good morning to you. Let's talk about what's baked into this outlook first. It's notable that two-thirds of ad buyers are factoring in a recession, yet they expect ad spend to still increase year over year. Is there a chance that that is too optimistic? It, it could be. I mean, we we were surprised with that with that number too. So two thirds, yeah, said um, recession into their budgets. They're taking a more wait and see approach uh, to twenty three ad spend, which we think will actually drive more volatility uh, for the major ad platforms this year, uh, and particularly in the first half. And and what we saw in the comments was because they're taking a wait and see approach, they could ratchet up spend, or to your point, Deirdre, you could ratchet it down. And it could be worse than than what they told us. Okay. well, in this scenario, then, if if many of them think that we are heading into a recession, they like putting ad dollars in places like Amazon. You say you think they're going to like to spend ad dollars on Amazon, Netflix and TikTok. Amazon's strength has kind of been revealed over the last year. So it's very intent driven. What do you like about TikTok and Netflix? Is it their trove of first party data, better targeting? Yeah, I mean, so so for TikTok, that it was the, basically the that platform was the winner of the survey uh, in in terms of expected share gain, in terms of advertiser adoption. Uh, we found that um, it was the number one platform if uh, if an advertiser wanted to start a new brand campaign for the thirteen to thirty four demo, so for younger uh, users. So it's it's emerging as a big brand platform. Uh, and and just a lot of a rising adoption on the advertising side. And then Netflix, uh, it, about a third said that they expect to, to advertise on it uh, in 2023. Obviously, it started uh, in November of last year. 
Uh, and they expect a, a pre, uh, Netflix to get premium CPMs relative to YouTube and other um, digital video ad networks. And, and so we'll have to see, and we'll get the update from Netflix next week when they when they report uh, the early right. learnings uh, on their ad tier. So, TikTok may be the most appealing to buyers right now, but of course, Washington is also keeping a close eye on the company, on the app. Um, what happens if it's banned here in the yeah. U.S. altogether? Where do those ad dollars go, do you think? Yeah, no, we, we explored that in the report and and basically, um, so, so they were favored by a pretty big margin over Met, over Meta's Reels and YouTube Shorts in terms of like, if you wanted to place an, an, ad, an ad on a short form video uh, platform like TikTok or Reels or Shorts. But obviously the, if it were banned uh, this this year in the in the US, Meta's Reels and, and YouTube Shorts would, would definitely benefit. And so it would benefit Meta and Alphabet. What does that tell you about Reels versus TikTok? I mean, investors are starting to look at Meta like a value stock. They're starting to get interested. And a lot of that is on the promise of Reels catching up. But if ad buyers aren't there yet and they still prefer TikTok, does that change the whole thesis for Meta? Yeah, you know, we, we have found since last quarter when it dropped so much, we have found that investors are, are like you said, looking at, at the multiple and potential for Reels. And the, the ad buyers, though, um, expect both uh, core Facebook and Instagram to lose share of digital video uh, and digital video in the next couple of years. So that kind of flies in the face of it. So it's it's a little bit wait and see. And I, maybe investor enthusiasm for reels is a little bit uh, too much at this point. Um, so um, based on what we learned uh, from, from our survey this year. Right. Interesting counterpoint then to what's sort of become a little bit of consensus. John, thanks yeah. very much for being with us. John Blackledge from Cohen. Thank you. Cohen. Now coming up on Tech Check, tomorrow's tech leaders find the next Uber, Airbnb, Slack before they go public. CNBC's annual disruptor 50 list is now taking nominations. Plus, we told you about the streets turn on Warner Brothers Discovery at Guggenheim to the list of bull calls this week, upgrading it to a buy and a price target of 1650. The stock's already up 30%, as I said, in just seven trading days this year. Don't go anywhere. Tech Check is back in just a moment. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. Welcome back. It is the 11th year of CNBC's annual Disruptor 50 list with alumni including Uber, Airbnb, Slack, and a lot more. On the heels of the Golden Globes, we're opening the call for nominations. And who else do we turn to on that but our own Julia Borston? Hey, Julia. Hey, Carl. Well, as you know, the CNBC Disruptor 50 tracks the fastest growing private companies that are challenging the status quo and have the potential to become the next generation of public giants. But with an economic downturn, startups face growing headwinds around fundraising in particular. Global venture capital funding in the third quarter of 2022 declined by 53% from the year earlier quarter to $81 billion. That puts pressure on startups 
that haven't recently raised funding and aren't yet profitable. But investors should pay special attention to the companies that emerge from this downturn, because sometimes companies born in the leanest of times have become the biggest, most powerful game-changing tech behemoths. Now, those examples range from HP and Microsoft to Electronic Arts. The 2008-2009 recession produced tech unicorns that are collectively worth $150 billion, according um, to Startup Genome, including 24 Disruptor 50 companies over the past decade, such as Airbnb, Block, Pinterest, Slack, and WhatsApp. Now, while certainly not all companies started in a downturn succeed, financial constraints can force new kinds of scrappy innovation. CNBC is now accepting nominations for the 11th annual Disruptor 50 list of private venture-backed companies. To learn more, scan the QR code on your screen or go to cnbc.com slash disruptors. Carl? All right, good stuff, Julie. I wonder, um, in what silos do you think there's going to be the most interest, meaning fintech or media or something else? Well, you know, what's so interesting is even though we've seen this overall downturn in VC investment in startups over the past year or so, there are some sectors that are continuing to be able to raise money and raise increasing amounts of money. And there are three key areas that I would point to. One is health tech. One is energy, um, because that's an area where, of course, we're always looking for more efficiencies. Um, and then also cybersecurity. You know, companies aren't going to be pulling back on protecting themselves against cyber threats. So those are the three key areas. We have seen startups in those three industries on the Disruptor 50 list over the years, and we expect to see more of them. All right, Julia, thanks. Time now for a news update from Christina Partinevelis. Christina. Thank you, John. Here's what's happening at this hour. Across the U.S., airlines are working to get their planes in the air following this morning's FAA computer outage. Tracking site FlightAware says six and a half thousand flights have been delayed and another thousand have been canceled. Southwest Air is topping the list in both categories with about a quarter of all delays and a third of all cancellations. Government officials say the cause of the computer problem still remains unclear, but so far there is no evidence of a cyber attack. Mortgage refinancings are rebounding as interest rates continue to fall. Refi applications are up 5% in the last week, but mortgage apps to purchase homes fell another percent as inventories of homes for sale remain tight. And troubled retailer Bed Bath & Beyond is up another 50% today. Yes, 50. Bankruptcy worries easing somewhat as the company announces cost-cutting measures, including layoffs and store closures. Bed Bath shares are still down, though, 75% over the last year. Still some signs of life in those meme stocks. Christina, thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, Still to come, companies like Apple and Amazon, they're making big bets in the healthcare sector, but not all of them have played out. So will this be a continued area of investment? And if so, is M&A in their future? We'll be right back to discuss all of that in two. Welcome back to Tech Check. Get a look at the markets on this Wednesday morning, a day before CPI. Market trying to take the positive view of things in advance. Dow's up almost 100. S&P about 50 points away from the 200-day, which we've not been above for about a month. Some movers this hour. Tesla, pretty nice bump after Goldman Sachs names the stock a top pick in the sector. Amazon, a nice winner today, up 4%. Bullish sentiment on the street about the company's prime activity looking strong. Some good checks on the cloud business, about a one-month high there. And we're watching... Uh, Taiwan Semi up about 9% for the year. We will be getting earnings from the company tomorrow, D, uh, John, and that's going to be a key number given everything we know about semis and the inventory cycle. 
Yeah, and kind of tossing back, Carl, to uh, the beginning of the show, we're talking to Dom about some of these names that had been so bad in 22, moved higher. Well, he was talking about the Dow, but you just mentioned Tesla. That's another one in the mix. I don't know, ahead of earnings season, uh, so much optimism. Is, is that a good thing? <laughs> Uh, we'll see. You know, the setup for CPI uh, looked a lot better a couple of days ago, uh, given the enthusiasm, as we said, that's coming up in advance. But the the motion in some of these uh, EV names today, John, some of the squeezes in the much shorted names, uh, Bed Bath today up 50 percent, uh, things like that. Uh, AMC up 19 earlier this morning. Those are definitely things to, to watch out for as that uh, print is less than 24 hours away, D. Yeah, and a good indication that we are starting off this year very much risk on. Meanwhile, if you're looking for a way to overcome the strong dollar, you might want to consider healthcare stocks outperforming the S&P in 2022. Our next guest says the sector should stay resilient in the new year and that more M&A could be on the way for some of the smaller biotech names, not to mention big tech's continued interest in disrupting the space. Joining us now, Dina Shacker, general partner at Lux Capital. Dina, welcome to Tech Check. It's great to have you here in person. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. And we were me. chatting earlier. You only had to run across the street because you've been at the J.P. Morgan healthcare conference, which is always such an important way to kick off the year, not just for the city of San Francisco, but for the healthcare sector as a whole. What are some of the takeaways that you found this year? First time in person since the pandemic. Yeah, the city is bustling. There's so much energy despite the rain. People are out and about. You've got biotech execs. You've got startups. You've got investors. There's a lot of energy and people are in good spirits despite being hailed on. And some of the earliest deals, um, significant, over a billion dollars, but mostly overseas. Does that tell you anything about what to expect in the U.S.? in terms of deal activity and consolidation in the year ahead? You know, I, I, there's definitely more to come. It's only day three of JPM. We are hearing a lot of M&A on the biopharma front. I expect there'll be more of that. That's par for the course for JPM, but also some significant investments coming from the health tech field and some interesting announcements as well from the payer and provider side. Right. And we've had a number of CEOs on this week who are all talking about their focus on technology. Um, on the other side of this, big tech is also um, a player, an increasingly significant player in health technology. Um, and we've seen moves, but what do you make of it so far? I mean, some big acquisitions last year by the likes of Amazon, Walgreens, CVS. What do you think big tech's presence is going to be this year? Yeah, you know, the acquisitions were pretty unprecedented, particularly for the times that we're in. So while the public markets have cooled off a little bit, there are some really interesting opportunities that will emerge on the M&A front. I think big tech is, is doubling down. We're seeing that with Amazon and their launch of Clinic. We're seeing that as well with some of the big announcements coming out of other big tech companies. The fact of the matter is health tech is here to stay. I think digital health will be replaced by just healthcare as more and more healthcare companies are mandated and have put forth mandates to actually adopt technology. Hey, Dina, good morning. So um, I wonder if there's a health tech shakeout coming, maybe even for startups. I mean, because it can be expensive to build this stuff, even with brick and mortar sometimes, like carbon health, did a layoff last year, but just this week announced a $100 million raise from CVS Health as part of the Series D that they're doing. Not everybody's going to get that kind of money. So what happens to those that don't, and do they end up perhaps selling out to larger companies uh, at prices that they might not have hoped for? It's great to be back with you, John. Thank you. Uh, we're proud of our portfolio company, Carbon, for their most recent announcement. And I think it speaks to the payers and providers and payviders, as they're often called, like CVS, doubling down on technology and on primary care. 
But to your point, there was a lot of money put into a lot of early stage companies in health tech. That activity continued through 2022, which still saw higher deal volumes, number of deals and dollars deployed than 2020. Uh, and, you know, TBD what 2023 brings, but it does not look like it will be quite as much activity. So, so what, what do does you- that mean? Yeah, what do you think? What do you think? For example, Alphabet, Google does. You used to uh, work over there uh, in the health space. Uh, Apple's got the Apple Watch that they're investing in, kind of in-house. Amazon's been doing some acquisitions, including one medical they're trying to get done. Should we expect to see anything big out of the likes of Google? You know, I I think Google has a a very interesting history, some of which I was a part of back in the day, building versus buying in health. And it's the original digital front door for all of healthcare. Every health tech company needs Google. And I think they are aware of that. They're doubling down on Verily, doing really fascinating work in clinical trials. So I expect we'll see more partnerships to come from them as well as other big tech companies. I do wonder, though, how much capital they have available. They're already facing, you know, activist letters saying that they should scale back on some of its moonshot projects like Waymo. Which kind of begs another question. Um, When we talk about health tech and innovation, some people argue that we actually maybe need less exciting things like solving for complexity. Mm -hmm. Um, What do you make of that? And do you think that maybe the projects we talk about, like Verily, applying big tech, it's good, but it could be making fragmentation worse? You know, when it comes to health tech, we still have an incredibly broken system. And so some of the most moonshot innovations are actually not rocket science. It's getting data on interoperability to actually work. It's getting patient care where they need it. And a lot of the big tech companies are seeing that as well. So it doesn't necessarily need to be the crazy investment in the moonshots, but actually investing in meeting patients where they are. And is that what they're doing in your view? I mean, they are kind of moonshotty. They're looking to find other revenue streams, but maybe it's just solving that complexity. You take a look at Amazon's One Medical. I mean, it's kind of another provider in the system. Um, How do you think they're solving for that problem? You know, I think each company has a different take on it. What we're seeing with Apple and the Apple Watch, uh, I think there's a lot more to come there. They're actually doubling down in clinical trials and research and actually delivering outcomes. Um, Unclear what will come from Google, but I do know that they are spending a lot of time on the clinical side with Verily and producing some really interesting research. Right. Well, Dana, it was great to have you here in person. Thanks for having me. Carl. Still to come this morning, why gig economy stocks suffered on this year's Just 100 list, including a 400-spot drop for one of these names next to me. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. You can listen to the show anytime, anywhere, available wherever you download podcasts. We're back in a moment. Welcome back. Just Capital and CNBC releasing the Just 100 list ranking companies by key issues the American public says matters the most, such as wages and job creation. Some gig economy names we follow here at Tech Check plummeting in the ranks under a new review process. And our own Brandon Gomez, who's been covering the report, joins me now on set. Brandon, why did they drop so far? Yeah, so I have been covering the Just 100 launch yesterday, and I thought, let's break out some names, right? And these are really in Tech Check's wheelhouse. We're talking gig economy names. Uber, uh, Lyft as well. These companies being reclassified this year from under review, which is where they were last year, to now uh, be dropping in the rankings because of how they classify their workers, right? So Just Capital this year reached out and said, hey, last year we didn't have the data to understand what your workforce population is, what percentage are gig workers versus what percentage are full-time workers. So they reached out, asked what that breakdown was, then asked them, okay, for those workers of the workplace benefits that you offer, which ones apply to gig workers, which ones apply to full-time staff? 
Hmm. So what they ended up doing this year was discounting the score for the companies that didn't provide those benefits across the board for the all employees. The same benefits Correct. to both corporate staff and the delivery drivers. Exactly. But, I mean, some would argue, Tony, Tony Shu at DoorDash, for example, <laughs> that the delivery driver is looking for flexibility, not necessarily a 401k, right? So is it fair to judge a company with uh, a whole bunch of corporate workers as their full workforce, like, say, an Intel, with the same measuring stick as somebody who's got maybe some college students, grad students in there who want to make an extra buck? Listen, I think it's a totally fair question, right? What do gig economy workers actually want? And also, not all gig economy workers are created the same, right? When you're talking about Uber versus the workers over at DoorDash, uh, you know, they, they want different things. They want different maybe safety protections, different 401k benefits. For a lot of people, these are side hustles, right? So do they want access to those 401k benefits? Hmm. And I think that that's what Just Capital is doing here is they're starting that conversation, right? As opposed to doing another year of calling these companies under review, what they're doing is they're inviting gig economy workers to the table to, to have that conversation. You know what I wonder about? Education as a benefit, right? As we see things like OpenAI's ChatGPT moving into the mainstream, some of these jobs are gonna get taken away by computers. Are companies providing workers with a stepping stone for economic mobility? Maybe that should be one of the things that they're measuring. And I think as we here at CNBC continue to work with Just Capital, those are the questions we have to ask to make this a more nuanced conversation, right? Right now, Just is looking at 401ks and broader packages. Uh, but are they offering, like you said, education benefits? How granular can we make this conversation really? Well, it's important for us to be looking at it in combination with Just Capital. Brandon, thank you. Deep. And I love this topic, guys. Uh, gig economy is an area I focus on closely as well. And labor, key risk factor for investors. Meanwhile, after the break, the three phases of a tech recovery from household names like Microsoft and AMD to riskier bets such as DraftKings. One investor lays out how he's positioned for a potential market downturn. Tech Check returns in just two minutes. Welcome back to Tech Check. The Nasdaq moving higher again today on pace for its first four-day win streak since September, of course, in advance of CPI tomorrow. But while market strategists debate the outlook for the year, our next guest sees this as a beginning of a recovery for at least parts of technology. Joining me here once again at Post 9 uh, with his take, Acme Capital founder Haney Nada. Great to have you back, man. Thanks, Thanks for thank coming in. Thank you for inviting in. me. Appreciate it. Um, how do you think the, the recovery in tech asserts itself this year? So look, I'm a big fan of like history doesn't repeat itself, but it does rhyme. And so if you take a look at what's happening today, what's happening in the markets, it's very similar to what happened after the 09 recovery and then the 2000.com recovery. I think there's going to be three phases of how things happen. First, uh, the household names, um, the uh, Microsofts, the NVIDIAs, the AMDs. I think those are going to be probably the first to recover. Those are good, safe names. The products are in demand. The markets are big. And I think you're going to, and the valuations are very attractive. Those are the first to recover, and you're already starting to see many investment banks talking about that, research reports talking right. about that. There's a few strugglers, I mean, whether it's Intel or Apple or Meta. Uh, I think there's some, some segments that are going to struggle, um, but the ones that I believe are going to do the best are the infrastructure players. Usually the first phase of a recovery is like people buy infrastructure. I need infrastructure to support my business. I need to upgrade my existing infrastructure, and that's where I think the first money is going to go. The economy, the attention-based economies, I think are going to struggle. So these are companies using advertising to monetize their users, right? So metas and so on. I think those are going to struggle both because of weak ad spending and increased regulatory pressures. 
Um, yeah, I guess that makes sense, given that we arguably coming out of COVID have less attention to give. Um, but what does that mean for some of the, the, the cost resets we're seeing within enterprise software, for example? They don't seem to think that this year is going to go gangbusters. Um, so I think there's some segments of enterprise software that's going to go gangbusters. Again, that's the ba- I think the back office is going to get more attention and more spending. I think Morgan Stanley recently did a survey and they saw that infrastructure and spending is going to be increased while front of, front of the office spending is going to decrease. That's why seeing Salesforce suffer a little bit, but the companies like Microsoft, Oracle, and others do well. I think what's interesting is you, you think we've seen innovation kind of peak in at least consumer apps. What do you mean by that? I mean, where uh, you think, is it, are we at a dead end with, with bells and whistles? No, I think you touched on it. I think the consumer is tapped out. 100% of our attention is on TikTok or Snapchat or Facebook or Instagram. We are spending all our money on Amazon and all these other e-commerce sites. There's very little for us to do outside. I mean, we, can't, we don't have any more time, right? And so for anyone to come in and innovate on the consumer side, they have to basically replace an existing incumbent player, which is really hard to do. And that's why I think also you're seeing incumbent players face this ceiling in terms of growth. All right. One last thing here, Cowan, today. We're convinced we're on the cusp of an accelerating big tech war in AI. If Microsoft, if that, if that deal comes together, it could be the Trojan horse for the next epoch. They're talking about similar to how Amazon gave birth to web services. Uh, look, AI cannot be underestimated. We are just seeing the tip of the iceberg. Um, you know, AI has been around for a long time, but the thing that's different this time is we are starting to trust AI answers, right? So you're seeing it everywhere. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be like water. It's going to be as big as the Internet was in terms of how things are more efficient. Think about this. For the last 100 years, we've automated blue-collar workers. I think for the next 100 years, we're going to automate white-collar workers with AI. You and I are no longer going to be needed, <laughs> okay. right? Believe me, I'm all over it. <laughs> we're going to be talking about that, I think, all year long, uh, hopefully sure. with your help. Haney, thanks so much. For, it's great Appreciate to see you again, great especially here on set. Haney Nada. John. Up next, the third act of the streaming wars, why one Wall Street firm says consolidation of platforms is the way forward. Disney, Netflix, Amazon, all big winners this year. Stay with us. Before we go, get a gut check. It is act three of the streaming wars, according to a new note from Moffat Nathanson, saying the industry's reached maturity and the only path forward, consolidation of platforms as streamers raise their prices and see slower growth. So with the third act upon us, who is the top name in that space? Moffat says... Netflix upping their price target to 240, maintaining a market perform rating. Julia Borston with us again to break down this note. We like to listen to what Moffitt uh, thinks. Julia? Yeah, Moffitt Nathanson is, is one of the leading analysts when it comes not only to the streaming wars, but also monitoring cord cutting. I've been reporting on what he's been saying about cord cutting for over a decade now. And what's interesting is he said the obvious solution to this new tougher phase three of the streaming wars is consolidation. But at the same time, he says he doesn't see consolidation of the platforms on the horizon this year. So ultimately, this third phase is a tough one. The companies are under pressure. Um, we're, uh, one, on one hand, you're seeing cord cutting of the traditional pay TV ecosystem. And on the other hand, there's so much competition in the streaming space. These companies are under pressure to continue to invest in content, but that's what's hurting their margins. So there's going to be a lot more thoughtful decision making about where they should be investing in content and also around pricing. I do think it's worth noting, guys, that he said that the increase in pricing around Disney Plus 
did impact signups, at least based on their estimates. So it's going to be fascinating to see some of these streaming numbers and specifically commentary for me, what I'm most specifically interested in, commentary about ad-supported streaming, how mm-hmm. that impacted signups, retention, churn, um, and we'll start to see those results when Netflix reports next yeah. week. Yeah, we, we spoke to another analyst earlier in the show, Julie, I'm sure you were listening, who also picked Amazon to benefit most from ad dollars in the upcoming year. Um, I wonder what you think this means for content going forward. It feels like for the last few years, it could only go up. And it still feels like that for this year. But what would it take to see consolidation in the space and a lower spend on content? Well, look, I think we've seen various reports saying that the amount of money being spent on content will increase, but at a much smaller pace than what we've seen in recent years. So you can still expect to see plenty of new series and TV shows. From what I understand, talking to sources in the industry, there can be a lot more strategic decisions about maybe you put things in theater theaters for a little bit longer. The fact that Netflix's Glass Onion performed so well in theaters for such a small period of time. Maybe they were leaving money on the table. Maybe they should have put, put that film in more theaters. But in terms of consolidation, Deirdre, a lot of that really comes down to these regulatory issues. Could you have well, major M&A between media and tech companies, between media companies? Uh, meanwhile, crypto has been a big part of ad spending over the last few years. And now crypto exchange Binance says that it is planning a hiring spree in 2023. That is, of course, the complete opposite of what most of its rivals are doing. They're basically just trying to remain solvent. CEO Binance, Chungping Zhao, known as CZ, says the company needs to get the company well organized ahead of the next crypto bull run. The company increased headcount in 2022 from 3,000 people to almost 8,000 people. Uh, John, I wish I could see your face as I'm reading this, uh, (laughs) but I'm sure you're kind of scratching your head also. There's a few red flags in this. He says that the exchange is not super efficient. Hmm. Well, That's there's kind no of what better way, no better way to get efficient than to hire more people. Now, I mean, <laughs> it's it's a great it's a great way to project strength to say you're going to hire more people uh, with with all the questions about the economy in 2023. Let's see if they actually do it. Well, and Carl, too, it also raises that continual question is where's the money coming from? And can you trust a crypto company that doesn't have a full audit? Uh, yeah, and where the interest will come from, this B of A downgrade of Coinbase we talked about earlier today cites uh, coin volume in December, which was the first month after the FTX blowup. Uh, $34 billion was less than half of the monthly trend for most of the year, and that's why B of A goes to underperform, cuts their target to 35, but that would definitely be uh, zigging while others are zagging. We'll see. Uh, important day as we get closer to the CPI number in the morning. That's going to be the key event of the week. You've been listening to CNBC's Tech Check. You can always catch us live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.